the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Sebastian Gorka is on the line. Sebastian, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me, Dennis, and thank you most of all for the incredible foreword to the War for America's Soul. You know what? I didn't even mention that. It's true. I wrote the foreword to the book. Uh, first of all, I was honored that you asked me to do it. And secondly, I want everybody to know I, I obviously write forewords pretty rarely and only when I think a book is that important. It's no reason to get the book, but it is my <laughs> foreword. But it is a reason for you to understand how seriously I take this uh, this book. There really is a war for America's soul. What, what is your analysis of of why would anybody want to tamper with the soul of America? Do you have a thought? That's the, that's bothered me my whole life. Your uh, Dennis Prager is asking me. Mm-hmm. Y- you you have explained it better than anyone else. If you deny the existence of objective truth, and we saw senators. In the U.S. Senate do this during the Kavanaugh hearing. Do you remember when Booker and Kamala Harris said to that woman, Blasey Ford, her truth? Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as her truth. There is either truth or there is falsehood. When you deny objective truth that is sourced from the transcendental, the immutable, the creator, then you are on the side of chaos. By default, you are on the side of chaos. And America is defined in its essence as the antithesis to chaos. When, I mean, why did the Founding Fathers use the word creator with a capital C in our founding document? Because they believed in objective truth. They believed that we have dignity, not because government decides we have dignity or legislation says we does. We only have dignity because we are made in the image of our creator. And the left has become the radical grandchildren of Rousseau, of Marcuse, of Gramsci, and of Alinsky, and they've come out of the closet as extremists. Do you know I received a call last hour? I, I assume this will be news to you. It was news to me. A, a hairstylist, a man who runs a, a salon, a hair salon in Sacramento, called, told me that he was informed that as of 2020, which is next year, as of 2020, they will no longer be allowed to say men's haircut or women's haircut. Uh, it's news to me, but it's not a surprise. I have a relative who works in the government, the local government in San Francisco, who told me that she recently went to a group training of government employees where they are no longer allowed, as per the Dev- Democrat government of San Francisco, to refer to homeless people as to, hom- to homeless people. And Dennis... 
please, I'm not trying to be risible. This is actually this actually happened. From now on, in San Francisco, you have to talk about these people as urban campers. George Orwell's 1984 is here. We are living it. Oh, Orwell! Orwell has, has been surpassed. Uh, yes. I'm sorry to say, I didn't hear that. Urban campers. Urban. If you're a homeless person, then the government employee is forbidden. It is verboten to call you homeless. You are referred to as an urban camper. Oh, I'm, I'm digesting that. So, the you know, I had a theory. You know, you're not allowed to say uh, illegal immigrant any longer. Uh, what is the term that they now use? Undocumented. Right. Undocumented, undocumented. immigrant. Yes. Right. So I said, I, I'm sure you will love this. Uh, if I may say that about my own thought. But uh, I said, in light of that, we should now refer to uh, a bank robbery as an undocumented withdrawal. (laughs) Uh, Indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your book, The War for America's Soul, tell us in a nutshell what what you're trying to achieve. Well, well, first things first, it it opens with the story that... that, um kind of motivates all of it. And that's what happened to me at my daughter's graduation just a few months ago here in Connecticut. And um, I had a 19-year-old girl come up to me in front of families, in front of hundreds of people, and say, are you Sebastian Gorka? And I said, yes. And she said, are you the Sebastian Gorka that worked for Donald Trump? And I said, yes. And I smiled at her. To which this little slip of a girl said, then F you, you effing Nazi. That's why I wrote the book, because we have to understand how 52% of millennials in America today, according to the victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, would prefer to live in a communist or socialist country, despite the fact that Karl Marx's philosophy has cost the lives of more than 100 million human souls in the last century. So my, my job was a very simple one, to map with factual information how the left succeeded, where, where it began from. Not the conspiracy theories and the tinfoil hat info wars garbage. I mean the actual, actual history of the Frankfurt School, of Gramsci's writing, all the way through Alinsky, for whom Hillary Clinton worked. To map all of this trajectory of the left's capture of our culture, then to analyze what really happened in 2016, why it had to be a rank outsider, a non-politician who won, and whether or not... He has the chance, whether he can, pull us back from the ledge and help us to to regain our rightful place as the shining city on the hill. And and then lastly, the the role I have a I have an interview with the president, an exclusive interview at the end, and then I speak to the readers. What is your role as an American who loves this country? What is your role in helping the president win and make America great again? It's really that simple. The book The War for America's Soul is up at DennisPrager dot com. I want to go back to that story. The uh, it, what do you think if you had to bet? Do you think her parents would be proud of what she said to you? Oh, they were horrified. So, so right after. Oh, oh, really? Oh, you, you oh. actually saw the parents. Well, I was uh, I, I, I was taken aback because I was at my daughter's graduation. So, you know, you always want to have the smart repast, but I didn't. So, I was kind of taken aback. She went back into the crowd, and then I decided after a few seconds, okay, I, after what my parents lived through. As children under Nazi occupation, I'm, I'm not going to let this pass. My, my father, as a 13-year-old schoolboy, 
took the hand of his Jewish fellow schoolmate and escorted him to school and back every day past the German occupational forces to make sure that his friend wasn't spat on as a young Hungarian schoolboy. So I wasn't going to let this lie. So I followed her back to her group, and there was, I think, her mother and an older woman who I presume was her grandmother. And I just said to her, who the hell do you think you are? My parents suffered as children under fascism, and then my father was uh, betrayed, tortured, and imprisoned by the communists after the Nazi occupation. Who do you think you are to call me a fascist? And the women, first that her mother, I think, said, did you really say that to this man? And then afterwards, they just had a, a look of horror on their faces. But she, the young girl, this you know, 95 pounds dripping wet, had a rictus of a smile on her face. She was fully indoctrinated and had no shame, Dennis. Wow. The, uh, you know, I don't know what would upset me more, the what you described, or if the parents were proud of her. Because the, f the reason that this is in some way even more upsetting is it didn't even matter to her what her parents thought. Yes. No shame, Dennis. No shame. <laughs> and th and that's, that way, that's how somebody can, can make sure the trains run on time into the gas chambers. I mean, when, when you get that level of unthinking loyalty to an artifice, to a false idol, to a fake ideology. To a false narrative. To a false narrative, then, then anything is possible. And this is what the left has achieved. You and I aren't human beings, Dennis. To the left, we are evil. We are inhuman. When, 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 a, when, a, when a, a Jewish, pro-American, pro-Israeli author like yourself and your amazing Prager University is labeled Nazi inside a Google internal email. There was one journalist who wrote just about me in my time in the White House, mm -hmm. 42 attack pieces. Wow. One of which, one of which described my son with the word, and he was 18 years old, high school. He was a high schooler. In the title of the piece, described him as a traitor. So they went after me, and I get it. I'm a proxy for the president. I work for Steve Bannon. I, I, I'm ready for it. But they went after my wife. They went after my children. They even went after the reputation of my dead mother. So this is when you realize that they have completely internalized the primary rule of Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals. The ends justify the means. They believe that man is not fallen. They believe that man is perfectible. Utopia can be realized. And if that is our wonderful, wonderful goal, then destroying people like me or you or the president is totally and utterly justified. That's right. Or, or Kavanaugh. Or one of the, I, I, I don't know the man, but from what I, I've read, he is, he's milk toast. He's the choir boy of choir boys. That's right. And that these people have the, the lack of moral fiber to say that this is a serial rapist. It's unconscionable, Dennis. It is. But uh, conscience is not their forte. Uh, we're living, look, the title of your book is exactly what is happening, The War for America's Soul. Let me ask you about the, the president now, a very a, a difficult one, but if there's anybody in America I would want to ask, it's you. 
And I'm troubled by, and you know how a big supporter I am of the president, I'm troubled by his position on the Kurds. Any thoughts from, from you? Yes. I mean, one of the great pleasures of working for the president was the fact that he, he, there are no sacred cows. So just because D.C. has been doing something a certain way for five years or 50 years isn't a reason to perpetuate that mode of behavior. And his first instinct is always to bring our boys back home, to bring our girls back home. Uh, in, in the case of Syria, we, we, we look at things as they are, not as we would wish them to be. That was the Obama administration. And Assad, he is a bloodthirsty murderer, not as evil as his father, but he is a bad man. As long as that regime enjoys the support of Russia, Iran, and China, he will not be removed, unless, of course, uh, we want to go to war with Russia, China, and Iran. Secondly, we have to be clear about who the Kurds are. Uh, they, there are many different types of Kurds, but the, the, one of the, some of the most violent ones, the PKK, are in fact Maoists. They are hardcore left-wing Maoists. That's in part why they have women uh, fighting, because they have this uber-egalitarian concept of a you know, protean world order. Um, yes, they like to kill jihadists, and we're, we're big fans of that, as the Arabs say, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But the idea that suddenly now we have a commitment to Kurdistan, when it is not a formal treaty partner to the United States, is, is very strange. If Congress wishes to make that happen, they can do that. They can write the laws. They can write the treaties. The Senate has the unique treaty power, but they are not a formal ally of the United States. Turkey is, despite the fact that it is run by a neo-Ottomanist theocrat who is himself an autocrat. But the idea that we have vital interests right now in Syria is not sound is not well-founded. Uh, and on top of that, at the end of the day, uh, this is a place where U.S. servicemen should not be caught in the crossfire. And lastly, just from a historic perspective, Dennis, I, I missed that moment when the Democrat Party became the pro-war party. I, I still remember Code Pink. I still remember them berating us during the Bush years that the, the highest form of patriotism is dissent. So at the end of the day, this is just another cudgel with which... which yeah, I, I, don't, I don't trust their opposition, but we have wonderful people who are Republicans, and I, and I am troubled because what if the Kurds are slaughtered when we leave? Will it have been a wise policy? I don't think that's going to happen because the president, as you saw in his, what was it, yesterday, no, the day before the tweet, the president uh, expressed directly, addressed directly to Erdogan. He says, if you go in there as a pretext to destroy the Kurds, then I will destroy your economy. And that's not an empty threat. He's doing that right now with Iran. Iran is on the brink of economic collapse. North Korea is in dire straits, as is Russia. So... This is the tightrope that you have to walk, and we're not going to make the perfect the enemy of the good. Yes, the Kurds have done great things in terms of fighting the jihadis who are our common enemy, but if we want to make them our formal allies, let's have that discussion. But in the meantime, when Turkey says we are going into Syria, the idea that we leave 50 U.S. soldiers or Marines there is just asinine. Okay. So you've heard the, the most articulate defense of the president yet, and that's why I asked Sebastian Gorka. I think we differ on this, but you may turn out right. If, uh, if his threats work against them, I, I have a warm spot for the Kurds because in that part of the world, 
they have, at least in my lifetime, uh, they have been uh, the most pro-Western of all Middle East groups except Israel. No, I agree. And, and what they've done in northern Iraq is, is absolutely incredible, what they've done around Erbil. I mean, it's a functioning quasi-nation state. But at the end of the day, these are discussions that have to be had out of the political context. And what is happening right now, it's just politics, Dennis. This is just, you know, this is, this is like impeachment. This is just another vector along which to attack the president. I don't normally ask people what they think will happen because uh, predictions... Well, I certainly don't make predictions. Having said that, I want to ask you, at what point will Nancy Pelosi do what the Constitution requires? And if there is an impeachment, there has to be a vote. What what do you think will happen in that regard? I actually differ from um, we were on stage together and, and we, we all four of us were asked in uh, Pasadena, whether impeachment will, will, will occur. And remember you, Mark and Larry, the, you know, Mark Levin and um, Larry Elder agreed that it will happen. I right. said, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Because, because, because if it does, you have to have 30 Democrats vote to impeach the most sex- successful president since Ronald Reagan, who are sitting in districts that that president won. The idea that 30 Democrats are going to collectively commit political suicide just because the squad wants to impeach Donald Trump. Mm. I, I think that the selfish ego of the independent politician it negates that. But you know, Nancy has surrendered. But at the same time, look, there is a reason. I, I read the letter from the, the, the president's counsel on air yesterday to Nancy Pelosi. It is a marvel of, of jurisprudential argument. The idea that you are feigning an impeachment proceeding without having the required roll call vote that every single impeachment proceeding has had in, in the past means that she's already scared. Uh, two final uh, things with you. Uh, did you hear that Zelensky, the president in the, in the phone call, the former president of the Ukraine in the phone call said he, he was completely unaware of any, any form of quid pro quo uh, in, or extortion in, in the phone call with the president? Not, not, only, not only that, my, my engineer and I decided to role-play the whole transcript on the show. He played the Ukrainian president, I played President Trump. We read the whole thing live on air, and there's that moment about three-quarters of the way through after the president has said, look, uh, let's cooperate on corruption. Also, there's this strange thing with, with, with Biden. It would be good if we could get some information on that. And, and then what does the president of the Ukraine respond and in all, he doesn't have to do this. He doesn't think anybody's listening or the transcript will be released. He says, and all of our investigations will be executed with the utmost transparency. Doesn't quite sound like a political hit job to me, Dennis. Well said. So I want to go back because uh, I so respect you and I'm such a fan of the president. I want to go just go back to one other aspect of the Kurd issue. Yes. I don't want... People who help us, America, to ever be left in the lurch, to be betrayed. Uh, I, I want the f- people who are friends of America to know we're there for them. Right. So that's a factor, too, in my concern. No, I, look, I'm the child of Hungarian refugees. And, and this, this touches, this resonates with me, because in 1956, Dennis... 
the American Radio Free Europe That's channels right. in mm-hmm. Hungarian yes. said to the Hungarian Freedom we'll Fighters, we, the, the, the U.S. paratroopers are coming. Literally, they said mm. the U.S. Mm. paratroopers are coming. Eisenhower, I know there are excuses. There's Suez and everything else. Eisenhower did not come to the aid of the Freedom Fighters in Hungary. And that is that is not forgotten. That That is still a separating sore in the memory of Hungarians today, even, you know, several generations mm-hmm, later. Mm-hmm. Um, but but let's be clear about why we elected Donald Trump. We elected Donald Trump in part because he, uh, he, he came on a platform of securing the nation and no more what he called dumb wars. We've had entanglements. We've had 18 years of war since September the 11th. Afghanistan is no more a, a, a small version of Switzerland than it was back when we invaded in 2001. If we wish to do military actions at the cost of, the, of blood and treasure to America, we have to have a reasoned discussion and a debate. The idea that we just do things because they're nice, that is a-strategic. There are many people around the world we could help, but there has to be a discussion. What is in our vital interests? America, this is what, this is what the Obama administration brought us. They lived in a fantasy land, an Alice in Wonderland world, where things could be solved by sending somebody to sing a song, uh, standing next to, to John Kerry in Paris after a terrorist attack and strum on their, on their guitar. That's not how geopolitics works. At the end of the day, we only act when it is in our vital interests and help where we can make a difference. I know it, it sounds harsh, but there are limits to even our capacity as a superpower. Let's have that discussion. Let's make those decisions. But what we are seeing right, right now is not a strategic decision. It is people making political hate while the sun shines. This is the Democrat Party that for 18 years asked that dissension be the highest form of patriotism and said that we have to withdraw. Remember, Barack Obama came into office on the idea that we must end all of these wars. And now the Democrats, now the Democrats have a problem with us ending one conflict. You want right. to support okay. these people, uh, then make a decision. Uh, okay. It's a, I think that the two of us share moral contempt for the Democrats, who are now a voice of the left, not liberalism. I was just raising the issue of... I don't like. I didn't like abandoning a friend in, in Vietnam. I don't like abandoning friends uh, in uh, in Iraq. The translators who have helped us. Oh, absolutely agree. Yeah, if you help us, we have to stick stick with you. And I think the right. Kurds helped us. Anyway, what is most important uh, at this moment is the book, and the book is the War for America's Soul. And uh, listen, uh, you're you're uh, a new joy in my life. What can I say? <laughs> Uh, I'll, 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 that'll be the blurb on my next book, Dennis. How's that? <laughs> Very touched. By the way, yes, right, folks. I did write the foreword. That's how much I love this book. Okay, my friend, good luck. You deserve it. God bless you and your muse. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. On CNN last week, there was a deeply disturbing exchange between Democratic candidate Beto O'Rourke and Don Lemon, who asked, Do you think religious institutions like 
colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? Yes. There can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone or any institution, any organization in America that denies the full human rights and the full civil rights of every single one of us. Just to be clear, this is not about whether donors should be allowed to deduct contributions or not. This is an open call for the state to tax the church, to seize the assets of the church and synagogue and mosque and not of churches in general, but targeted at the ones who retain the orthodox positions of their respective faiths. It's an argument for the state suppression of religion. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.